You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Hey, it's Chris Spangle, host of We Are Libertarians, and I was recently delighted to be a guest on Al Jackson and Frank Caliendo's podcast called Al and Frank Try to Be Serious, which you can find at Al and frank.com and they wanted to know what a libertarian was so it's very exciting when people who are normies start asking questions about libertarians so please take a listen to this go subscribe to their channel and if you like the show if you like the episode then please go and rate and review their new podcast on itunes google play stitcher wherever you listen to the show that's really going to help them out as and, and do it as a thank you for having a libertarian on you know, we don't often get to uh, talk to big audiences like this. So it's very exciting, and I hope that I did us all proud. And uh, if, if you feel that way, then please do me a personal favor. Subscribe to their show and rate and review them. And you can get the podcast at alandfrank.com. So thanks for listening. We're starting at 5, 4, 3, 2... Okay, there it is. It's recording. I press record and the, the numbers weren't going at all. So, uh, I think that's bad. Yeah, but they are going now. And here's one of the things that uh, people at home might not know this or in their cars or wherever they are. Um, my brother Terry is the one who puts this show together and we'll start the show officially. And if she's, that's the problem, he never knows where the shows start or end. <laughs> and it's becoming kind of a game for me to, to not tell him. He's like, but let me tell me, he has this high voice when he talks to me, but Frank, tell me when, uh, when, when, when it does end and start, I'm like, well, you just figure it out and I'll trust you to get <laughs> it right. And then he will, uh, edit it some way and I'll be like why'd you do that I haven't, I haven't even watched it yet yeah. why'd you do that he's like I thought you said to I'm kidding <laughs> yeah. but it is awful do it again so uh, well, that's what he gets for having pride in his work mm-hmm. right <laughs> caring about something don't care not around me because I'm <laughs> mail gonna, it in Terry <laughs> I'm gonna bully you so this Good is call. where we uh, just uh, for a few seconds we'll pretend to talk or we can talk about something uh, and we'll put the title over it uh, and we'll be quiet for a few seconds. The music will be playing, hopefully. And then we're going to begin uh, officially right about now. I, how about that? Is that a I'd right be... about now, Terry Caliendo? <laughs> now. And yes, keep Talk. everything in that I left, I was talking about before, but figure out a way to fit the main title in and enough songs so it works. Now I'm kind of impish. There we go. Um, so, uh, 
Al, uh, it's Al and Frank. Uh, we're trying to be serious. Uh, Brian Love is on with us again. Uh, and we are joined today by Chris Spangle, um, who I met and have run into a few times at the Bob and Tom show in uh, Indianapolis there. And he was helping me out with a bunch of podcast stuff uh, for the Comic Playground podcast uh, that I'm also doing that's on the road a little bit there. Not just a little bit, all the way. Uh, so, Chris, tell us, a, give us a little bit of background on you. You you told me you were doing a podcast and that the thing I was amazed by is you've been doing this for a few years, go into that. And I, I was I, I didn't mean to be... I didn't want to be talking down to you because I was thinking local guy and all this stuff. And I, it came off. So I thought it came off terribly by me, but it's like, you probably have a small audience or something like that. And you said it, you, you held it together very nicely and didn't get like offended at all. And you're like, Oh, I have 10,000 subscribers. Um, and we got to talking I'm like, and I totally understood why it's incredible. And it, just, so tell everybody a little bit about the name of your podcast, what you do, what you, what you try to accomplish with it. And uh, we'll go from there. I just, uh, well, thank you for having me on. And I was amazed that you were talking to me. So I, <laughs> I, I usually don't, right? <laughs> right. Yes. So this is a wave, you know, Al's much more friendly in person. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, no, no, it's true, but uh, I'm fine with it. No, it's, it's one of the, I'm a, I'm a behind the scenes person at the Bob and Tom show and I and I like it that way and I try not to interfere in the conversations that like when you and Al and comedians come in you know you don't want to be in the middle of that that's not your job your job is to make the show run smoothly and not get in the way of the talent uh, so so I never try to impose so when when we ended up having a conversation I just I I really enjoyed it and uh, it was nice to have someone pay attention to me because I'm the the staff nerd there uh, Tom hired me about five years ago to start doing all the digital, and I'm basically the show's podcaster, web editor, social media guru, uh, video editor, uh, along with Jeff Oske, who's also a comedian and the head writer. I think he's the head writer. I I'll call him <laughs> that. Um, and so, yeah, you started talking to me about podcast stuff because that's really what I love. It's my passion. Um, and, uh, I'm very fortunate to do what I love on a daily basis at the Bob and Tom show, which I've listened to since I was a, a kid, uh, being from Indianapolis. And I got there in a weird way. Cause I didn't go to school for video editing or podcasting. I've really learned like video stuff at Bob and Tom. I started out in politics. And, uh, if you, if you go all the way back in time, uh, I wanted to be in radio and work for Bob and Tom at eight years old and wanted to wow. go into media production <laughs> eight years old you wanted to be in radio were you from 1960 here's, <laughs> yeah. here's the good thing about working where i do bob and tom mess me up and now they have to pay for my therapy <laughs> there we go there because i remember listening to john fox when i was like five years old on trips to florida <laughs> so for people who don't know who he is or was just brutal Oh, crazy, filthy. filthy stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I got in trouble for pre singing uh, what we colloquial, colloquially, uh, you know the word, called prison bitch uh, in like sixth grade. <laughs> They're just a Bob and Tom bit. So. Um, so I always loved radio and I love talk radio and my family all listen to talk radio. And so that's really kind of where I thought I would go. I never thought that I'd get to work for Bob and Tom. 
and went to college and I faked my way into getting an internship at a local AM talk station, 1430 AM. And uh, that was in 2004. But you faked your way. How did you fake your way? So I was a history major. And which, by the way, guys, when he was talking history, that was the thing that blew blew my mind because I would say something and he would say, well, that, you know, that's because X, Y and Z happened. And I go, no, I didn't know X, Y or Z even existed. So that one of the things we do on the show and what we've been doing, even though we've done some practice shows and we've done some shows that have already uh, one show that's been released at this point. But I've always said it's great to have a person who actually read some of these and we talk a lot about feelings and where we're coming from on this stuff but sometimes having that background in those historical notations or whatever you want to call them understanding that helps you understand how things got to a certain place yeah well frank some of us aren't bogged down by your facts okay i go with my (laughs) (laughs) what if what if you have both what if you have facts and feelings is that all right (laughs) no you can't you can only have one or the other haven't you you guys been paying attention to the news (laughs) you guys have things like like wives and girlfriends and (laughs) children and friends and i have i have uh, books and i (laughs) my apartment and read and then go to Bob and Tom, and I come back and I read. So that's is anybody it. waiting for Chris to bust into tears? Is that <laughs> <what I'm thinking? laughs> no, and I want to I want to preface. I, I'm worried that I I should have asked you if this was okay, but I keep every time I look at Chris, I just th- please don't take this as a, a, a me being a jerk because no I kind of, I, I'm not. But I feel like I'm an Endor. Um, you're you're kind of Ewokian. Um, <laughs> There's, but that's that's okay. Uh, George Lucas is like that too, and I I can't even pay his taxes. So I, I'm cherubic, yes, <laughs> cherubic, a man of larger carriage, you might say. Uh, <laughs> cherubic, that's that's a good word, but come on, man, <laughs> you're good. <laughs> so how did you fake your way in, and then we'll get into a little bit more about your podcast and stuff like that. So I was listening to uh, the radio station that I eventually worked for, and they kept airing sports games, and I can't have that, and so. I wrote a complaint letter, and the guy who has become a good friend to this day, he, he goes, uh, what pizza company do you deliver for? And I told him, and he's like, have you ever thought about an internship? And I said, sure. And so he's like, well, you got to do this. So I go and talk to the advisors, and she's like, you're a history major. I really am not going to give this to you because it makes no sense. And so I was like, well, what do I have to do? And she says, you have to be a comms minor. And I said, no problem. I'm going to do that. I'll, I'll do that right now. I signed up for it. And uh, within I, I eventually dropped out roughly two semesters later uh, from uh, IUPUI. A crippling heroin addiction? No. Crippling, <laughs> yes. Uh, well, no, I just I, I went to a school. You know that school in your state where everybody goes when they can't get in anywhere else? That's where I went. <laughs> just was not into it and i went to the day that i really was like okay this is not for me went to history and if you can believe it frank the teacher said the first supreme court justice was john marshall (laughs) it's actually john jay and so i just was like these people don't know anything (laughs) (laughs) what did he would she combine thurgood marshall and what what happened there (laughs) well it just i i got i got to working full time and it just got pretty tough i i still want to go back and finish but i ended up kind of just knowing it was actually a great thing because i got into the workforce a lot earlier than my peers who all graduated right in 08 which was not a good time 
and uh, has led to me having a really good career. So I go to work for this radio station and uh, I, I listen back to some of those old clips and I know nothing and I sound stupid. And, and so I just knew that I kind of didn't know what I was talking about. And that was and, last week. Don't worry about it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And went on to work full time there in 07 and 08 for the morning show doing local reporting and really getting into the nuts and bolts of local politics. And a lot of the the experiences that I had covering Republicans and Democrats made me go, these two people are totally corrupt. And I just the system is broken and a third party is really the only way to fix it. And I was fairly libertarian, but I really didn't become a libertarian until Ron Paul in those 2008 debates kind of solidified a few things that I had struggled with, like foreign policy. I'm I'm very anti-war now. Uh, I was you not, were very pro-war before then. I was. I actually held a pro-war <laughs> rally, Frank. What? No. <laughs> you I'm, had I'm, me there for. Sure. You speak so seriously sometimes that in deadpan, I'm like, you did? I did. I actually did. <laughs> did you did? This is real. This is yes. real. Yeah. You did a pro-war rally. 2003. It was a support the troops rally. Okay. But that's um, different than pro By sending war. them to war? Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. oh, you're testing Al right now. Testing. Look at Good Al. news, guys. <laughs> Al's, Al's been able to stay unemotional so far with us. I could just. He's changed his mind, Al. Relax. I know yeah. I'm miserable. Oh, okay. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. I thought we. I, I was. Before. I was about to get popcorn. Right I thought. On that one. Yeah. I. I thought it was Frank. Frank tries to be serious all of a sudden. <laughs> I was. I was young at really big key moments in time and impressionable. I mean, I turned eighteen on nine eleven two thousand a nine dash nine dash two thousand one, and wow. so I was wow. eighteen two days before nine eleven. I was a senior in high school, and I signed up for selective service on September tenth. And then September 11th, I, I had issue. I was, I was, uh, I don't know what I, if I can curse. Uh, no, yeah, we try to I, stay out of it. So. Yeah, so I, I was really nervous. Let's put it that way. I was just, but it was a profoundly impactful thing for me. Not being young and not really having perspective on 9/11 really, it shook me to my core. It it changed me in a lot of profound ways. And then you know, watching all of my friends graduate college and and losing some classmates in Iraq going to college during the Iraq war debates and and that entire time and watching the crackdown on free speech and and all that went with that and then 2008 with the financial crisis and seeing my friends because you have to understand when if you're a, a millennial like myself you were told go to a private school you're gonna you're gonna pay these we didn't we weren't told about the debt the college uh, student loan debt that you'd get and you pay this all this money. You're going to get a job at $60,000 a year when you graduate. And my friends graduated with hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, you know, combined. We're all sitting here going, how are we going to pay with this? We can't get jobs. So it was just very uh, an impactful time in the 2000s for me. And I started out, you know, a good Reaganite Republican with every sort of jingoistic hope and dream you can have in your country. And I still love my country still uh, consider myself a patriot. But I think a lot of the things that were taught in school, I started to go, I don't see this actually being applied. And so that really started... In terms of what? What is that? What do you mean? Um, I, I think if you look at the media, for instance, we're told that the media is our guardians of truth. 
And I think if you look at CNN on a daily basis now, you go, this is an identity group who really is protecting their own class. Mm -hmm. Or the government is a thing that we all do together for the good of the people. And my experiences as a reporter and then, uh, which I haven't gotten to, as the head of the Libertarian Party of Indiana uh, and, and doing my show, I have just found that things like CPS, for instance, uh, you know, I have heard I, I've talked to mothers who have just had horrible experiences with CPS and you start to go. It's not that the idea is bad. It's the bureaucracy that makes this not function. And then people get hurt. And so I just started out with a lot of I, you look at war, for instance. I think I looked at the world in a way where America does a lot of good around the world. And I think we do that. But there also is. um we're, we're 18 years into a war, and uh, how long is it going to keep going? You know, right. At what point do we say enough? Kids who can sign up for the military today were born after 9-11 and have no idea what they're fighting about. And so you have to start going, are we fighting for certain principles, or are we fighting to make sure that we can sell weapons? And so like, what's what? I, I, I just have become pretty cynical at 35 years old, and... Uh, I have seen the government that I thought was like the government that would uh, was there to protect us become an instrument for enriching certain groups of people, and so it, it, it and I don't think it's all bad. I'm I'm certainly not uh, um, I'm not an anarchist. Uh, I'm just, I'm getting there. Uh, <laughs> I I have to say it's not that I'm a libertarian because I'm greedy and I just want to collect all the money for myself. It's that the things that we're doing aren't working. And so we have to start questioning everything and retool it to work. And I think that is really the most formation formational uh, uh, foundational job that I had was four years from 08 to 12 working for the Libertarian Party of Indiana, where I set up hundreds of campaigns, hundreds of uh, organizations here in Indiana for libertarians. I was at the founding Indiana Tea Party meeting here in, in Indiana in 2009. And uh, what I found working there was a lot of well-meaning people want to get involved in politics, but the rules are written by the two major parties against those well-meaning people. And it happens in parties, outside of parties, and across the board. And so uh, it was another kind of troubling experience and so i decided that i would start a podcast to kind of highlight some of these issues because i would talk to dozens of people on a weekly basis on the local ground over these periods of years and i met a lot of people and had a lot of great stories that i wanted to share with people and so what i've done with my show we are libertarians which you can find at we are libertarians.com and feel free to plug that on don't you don't have yeah. to try and we'll, we'll make sure we do i, I do it i i yeah. Go Still, go ahead. What you can do with your show, because I, I want to ask you after you get to that, what you believe libertarian is. That, that's because, what I was going to ask. Like I was just the ask elevator pitch of like if you had to say it in like three or four sentences, like what what do libertarians believe? Uh, do you want me to keep on with the history? Or do you want me to start there, like with the actual ideology? How let me uh, let me start with what a libertarian is because that's probably yeah. what a lot of people are going. Because I think we're I think yeah. the whole time we're listening, I I, I find you very interesting, and the the, the story of getting there because you also told me you worked with uh, underprivileged kids and uh, that changed how you looked at a lot of things. But I think everybody when you start saying libertarian, 
I think when people hear labels that, and I'd, I, sometimes I wonder if I sway into there or if I don't, I, I don't even know because, but when you, somebody hears a label, sometimes they, they, they go, Oh, they already have a connotation. They have a belief of who that is. That person is. And even when you signed in, I was like, you have your American flag there, which I think is, it, it just made me kind of laugh and go, Oh, that's identity. That's great. You, but even in this world we live in, sometimes people are like, they use the flag as a negative, I feel. And sometimes people look at it in a negative and it's a weird time where, uh, and, and I, I don't, I don't know if it's the same for you guys. It might be completely different, but growing up to me, the, the American flag was always this, uh, this is the best. This isn't the, I'm starting to sound Trumpish. This is, it's that we're making it great again, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's that, it's a weird thing where, you know, we don't have all the truths and histories and stuff like that. So the libertarian, where you're coming from, uh, like Al said, the, the elevator speech, so to speak. Yeah. So the two sentence, it, 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 you're going to go three. A lot of people give is, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, is, uh, socially like socially liberal and economically conservative so uh if you were to look at it in terms of issues then libertarians would fall on economic issues with conservatives we need to have free markets we need to allow individuals um, personal freedom when it comes to their economic choices but at the same time socially liberal keep government out of your bedroom uh, allow people to live their lives as they see fit. I have. I, I think that it is a mistake to kind of view libertarianism in terms of, all right, I believe this on this issue, check, I'm a libertarian, check on it, because it kind of confuses people. I think you really have to start with your personal principles when you're talking about politics. And I didn't really get libertarianism for years until I heard this guy named Marshall Fritz give an explanation of libertarianism. <laughs> Um, and and who's Marshall Fritz? Marshall Fritz was this guy who founded the this libertarian organization, and he was like the marketing guy for the libertarian movement. And I, I ended up working at this organization that he founded, and I fell in love with the guy. And you can find if you go to wearelibertarians.com and slash you know what is a libertarian, or, or uh, I think it's slash libertarianism. Uh, there's a link that says what is libertarianism. You'll see the, his little uh, a clip of his speech in there, um, and he. And he basically explained it like this. Is it moral for me to take something that you own, Frank? If I, is it moral for me to come over and take your microphone? No, that's I would say no. Okay. Right. Right. Is it more moral if I say, I'm going to take your microphone, but I'm going to give you a Mr. Microphone in return, something of lesser value, but at least you have a, 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 a different microphone? Most of us would say no. Mm -hmm. uh, he said, you know, if if Brian, Al and I vote on taking your microphone, does that make the morality change? And he explained in, in terms of individualism that if you start with a person's individual morality and the things that we're taught as kids don't hit people, don't steal their stuff, don't lie, don't defraud people, then you start to develop an ideology from there. And that really is where I start. I started from my personal value system and started looking at the world in a different way. Uh, and it, I, I look at a lot of the government that we have now and it, int it intrudes on an individual's right to hire the people that they want to hire, marry the people that they want to mar marry for other countries to uh, have their own sovereignty because Americans 
do certain things with, uh, we'll get into all that later. Uh, and so you start to go, the individual needs to make the decision. And is this organization, is this corporation, is this government starting to interfere in that? And are they using force? And force is really the foundational principle of libertarianism. Like this is the singular thing. We do not initiate force to bring about social or economic goals. It's not morally correct for me to use force in any way, shape, or form to get you to live the way that I want. And mm -hmm. so it's not morally correct for me to form a government and force you to, to do what I want. Now, that's a very ideological way of looking at things. It's not a very practical way of looking at things when you're talking about 2019. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because we have a massive government that is involved in every area of our life. Look around your room or your car or in, wherever you're listening to this and ask yourself, is the federal government involved in that thing? The answer is yes, because literally everything you're touching, the federal government now has some regulation or some tax or some way to manipulate your behavior. And so it's very... Uh, and Apple, too. Apple's the other Apple, one. too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Appletarians, the Appletarians. <laughs> right. So to bring, it all, to bring it all back around, libertarians believe in free markets. We believe in peace. And we believe in harmonious systems where people work together. And that when you introduce force, you start to divide people. We believe in um, the individual and the right of the, in the individual to govern themselves. Uh, and that uh, less government or is easier to control because once people start to once the government starts to regulate, then the politicians start to get bought off. <laughs> and so right. then the corporations start to control things instead of the people. Uh, and it, it is it's sort of a radical idea, but it's the it's the radical idea that the founders of this country believed in. It's the founding principles of the United States of, of the United States. And when you go back in our history and you really read what they were saying or you watch John Adams on HBO, you start to see, oh, wow, these guys were libertarians. This is the government that they were trying to set up. And then it just got messed up along the way. Like Alexander Hamilton immediately started trying to mess things up by starting a war with the French and centralizing the government. And the Alien and Sedition Acts, where they were trying to keep immigrants out and shut the press down and put them in jail. And it started from the very beginning. So every generation, I think, has to relearn these principles. And so even though it seems far-fetched and this will never work and we can't do it in 2019, what I try to do is explain these principles on a weekly basis, on a daily basis at this point, to relearn these, these ideas so the next generation can start to make better choices than I think my generation has made, Gen X, Baby Boomers, the greatest generation uh, have made before us. So... So that's I, I don't know if that made it you more confused or no. I was going to ask the oh other guy. Oh my gosh, so many <laughs> so many good nuggets in what you said. Yeah, but yeah I, like, that's uh, what I want to see. What how did that the that definition and where he's coming from on libertarianism hit you guys? Because oh. of, I, Al, would you like to go first? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll piggyback off you. I, I definitely have some thoughts uh, because um, for me, just quickly, Chris it's interesting that you said you minored in communications because I did the other thing in school. I actually got a communications and English degree and minored in history. Ah. So I will be asking you lots of questions about <laughs> in the future near or distant about clarification on things or your thoughts on stuff. It's just, um, Oh my gosh, so many things you said uh, sparked 
thoughts and um, curiosity for me. The one thing that I can pick off right off the top of my head was uh, your comments on media. It was interesting to me to hear you explain your realization on how media uh, is portrayed, how um, the idea that when you were young, it was everything that they said that you heard, you believed to be the truth, the the generator of truth, the har- the harborers of truth, or harbingers of truth. Um, and when in actuality, I mean, you can even go back before the country was created and speak of heralds that stood in the street and gave the news. Um, the media has always been controlled. It it and it's so it's always interesting to me. The people who 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 share the media are the ones who have always been in control of the message that's gone out, I guess is a better way to put it. So it's always interesting to me when people when people realize that um, you have uh, writers and reporters and analysts who bank their careers on the validity of their their stories and the accuracy of their research and the um, dependability of their sources. And then you have those who work in other areas of media who like to throw a slight spin on the validity of a thing or um, add their own editorial, uh, I guess, opinion on a thing. And then the media outlet that is showing said thing then edits it to fit their audience. Um, The 50s was a time, especially as TV became huge in everybody's living rooms, they did that. I mean, as simple as, uh, which even makes reference to what we talked about in the last podcast, as simple as the word pregnancy. You couldn't say the word pregnancy on TV because it was deemed to be uh, a woman's issue and that people didn't want to hear about it in their home. And it was with child, right? It was They had to say with child. Yes, with child. Or um, I can't remember the other phrase. Uh, but that's just that's just a small example. I believe they of, used to say prego. Is that yeah? That's so. Oh, a bun in the oven. Bun in the, bun oven. In the oven. That was that was, was that real or is that, that <laughs> yes? That was a real phrase that, that that was used. Can I can I throw something in to to, to jump on um, what you were saying there for a second? I took a class yeah. called Critical Thinking in the Mass Media in mm-hmm. college, and it was probably the most eye opening. I thought I thought along this this route, but. It was uh, a great eye opener, and this professor's actually come out to some shows and stuff like that. Uh, even in the last couple of years, Greg Hoffman, who always wore a turtleneck and just would talk like this, we never knew what he was saying, but <laughs> that was probably that was the, the whole and he's like, "Hey, folks!" Your class, <laughs> the turtleneck made him talk like that. Oh, that we thought it was squeezing the air out. <laughs> so, but his th- his whole thing was every story. In the news, any report that's ever been done has a slant Mm -hmm. because it's through human eyes, a human brain, and then comes out. You can't ever get anything 100% factual because you don't have the backstory and you're coming at it at a certain time in a certain place. Um, So it's, it's... it's going to have a little bit of a slant and you, you have to accept that because we're always going to, to be there as we are human. But what you're saying there is 
the added slant, the knowing slant, I think. Correct. And that's Correct. okay. So go go from there because that's that was a, a big. Let me let me tell you a piece of my history that kind of ties into that. That really was the first moment when I went, "Oh, this is all rigged," because there were a couple of moments like that. The first, this is the first one though. Uh, it was, and it all happened within like a six month period. Uh, first with the media, and then with the parties. So I'm I'm at here in Indianapolis. We had a mayor's race in 2007. That was crazy. It was. Uh, a Democratic mayor who was running for his third term who had like millions of dollars in the bank and he was running against a Republican that nobody had ever heard of. The party wasn't helping. He had like $100,000 in the bank. But we had a really bad summer where there was a lot of crime in Indianapolis. We had, uh, he raised income taxes to help fight, to raise money for the police. We had a property Mm. tax crisis here in Indiana. And so people were getting 1,000% increases in their property taxes and that was really like this is where the first tea parties were held on July 4th, 2007, on the governor's lawn. Uh, there was a huge tea party and rally. And it, was, it wasn't called that yet, but it was a tax revolt. And uh, this dem- this Republican challenger was giving a rebuttal at City Hall during the mayor's budget speech. So the mayor gets up, he speaks to the city council, he says, here's my budget, it's August, right before the elections. The The challenger gets up at the end and gives a public address. I'm walking out with a reporter from the local sta- from a local station, and I say, so how much of this are you going to use? And she says, oh, we're not going to use any of the challenger's speech. And hmm. I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, my editors have made the decision that because he's not bought any ads, we're not going to give him any free advertising. And my jaw hit the floor because that's when I realized the local news was, which you can touch, you can talk to these people, you know the people that make the news in your local town, they're making these sort of decisions based on Mm -hmm. profit. Uh Uh-oh, what do you think's going on at CNN or Fox News or the Washington Post? And that really shook me to my core. Now, fast forward to the Republican convention in 2008. I'm a Ron Paul fan. I'm working for the radio station as a reporter. And this woman comes up crying to me and she goes, they've just kicked 350 Ron Paul delegates out of the convention because they don't want Ron Paul delegates to go to the national convention and cause trouble for John McCain. You've got to tell the story. They've broken their own rules they've broken their own election laws and i went okay so if i want to reform the the party from the inside they're just going to change the rules on me break the law and nobody's going to hold them accountable and so that's when i really decided i need to go do something else you know and that's eventually why i wanted to start the podcast because i see podcasts and social media as the the ability to take the power of the media away from the people who are just trying to feed us fluff because it's a two-part problem. We can blame the media and say they only want to profit and they only run the Kardashians. But we're also the ones that love to have our ears tickled. We're also the ones that choose the Kardashian stories over the Pentagon missing $3 billion. <laughs> like, let, me, let me ask you this. To, and, and we all do it through what? Media. Right. <laughs> Isn't it funny, that's, that's though? Because this is, this is, I, I don't mean to stop you because it's informative, but... I've caught myself doing that and then stopping. Like I'll yeah. I'll click on a, a story and be like, "Why am I doing this? I really don't. Even, do I really care about this proposal 
that's never going to have an effect. I mean, and I get on my wife about this stuff. Like all she cares about is the royal wedding or something. And I'm like, it's not going to affect you in any way, shape, or form. Well, and- I, I, I would make the argument that we all have to have something that we nerd out on. Mm-hmm. Right. And I would feel I feel like your comic books or her royal wedding is my fantasy football is, you know, uh, somebody else's uh, weekend Man. fishing trip. Yeah, some kind of like video game tournament. Yeah. It's, I think we all do need to find selves, uh, find, find a way to escape it, it, and, you know, it, to each other, to the person that's not into it. You think the Kardashian things are ridiculous, but there are people that do their makeup tutorials and then start their own YouTube page and make money, make a profit right. from it or, or genuinely receive joy uh from it so i i I would say that and and um i don't want to cut you off frank but chris i've been i've been listening to you and i i hear the word rigged a lot and uh that's definitely a trigger word for me uh i i feel like this uh the whenever you start i i think it's a it's a poor way to start any any kind of venture where you think that the system is already rigged against you and that's coming from a black man uh, you can make the argument that uh, marginalized people can say that the system is rigged against them. And uh, in a lot of cases, you can make a strong case for that being the point. But I worry about approaching uh, anything that I do that way. I, I I would rather be rigged so that way when I win, I feel even more confident about my abilities. Uh, I will, when, when you say the word rigged, are, I, I just wonder because it seems like y- y- you mentioned uh, profit. You mentioned that that CNN and Fox News, you know, wants to turn a profit. But I, I would think that that would fly directly in the face of your economic uh, laissez-faire kind of attitude in terms of like everybody can hire who they want and government should step back. Uh, if Fox News or CNN does does research, market research, finds out who watches their show, 60-year-old white woman, 40-year-old black men, and then cater their program to that to sell more Tide and Pizza Hut, um, why is that uh, why is that egregious to you? Two very fair points, and, and and I will I will concede the rigged part because that that is just something to me that um, the system exists as it is, but I don't believe that the system can't be reformed or changed. If I if I didn't, I wouldn't pay attention to any of this. I wouldn't spend any time doing my podcast. You know, I spend an extra. On top of my forty-hour a week job, I spend twenty on that. I wouldn't wait. I wouldn't do that time and waste people's time by doing a podcast. But I didn't think that it could be reformed. I'm sure we'll talk a lot about that. So that is a fair point about that particular word. Uh, can, can I? I but can I cut you off for one second? Sure. Al, if he had said the media seemed unfair to me, would that have less uh, of a triggering effect on you than him using the word rigged? Because it would, it would mean I wasn't taken back by rigged as much. I could feel a little bit, of maybe of tension, and I, it was a word. That, oh, yeah, but, no, 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 so no tension. I just, um, and in unfair, I think I don't even know if that's the the right word. And and and, and Chris, I don't want you to lose your train of thought. Cause I'm really interested in what you have to say. Um, I think that we kind of all engage, and we, we decide uh, what parts of life that we want to be, there's this thing about fairness uh, that I don't know where we all decided that we're entitled to this. Uh, the, the media is a company that is trying to 
turn a profit and keep eyeballs. Anytime somebody's selling commercial commercials, mm. they are all automatically that they, they have an agenda. Their agenda is to not close their doors for business and they're going to do what they need to do to make sure that happens. And I believe it's, it's on all of us. And I believe every uh, man on this, on this podcast right now probably would have, probably does go to several sources to verify things because mm-hmm. I don't, I don't believe things that I hear uh, necessarily, you know, because I understand that people do have an agenda with whatever they do. When somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, mister, how you doing? They're about to ask you for something. They want something from you. When you approach a woman and she's on the street, you might want to take her on a date. You might want to ask her where she got that coat. Cause you want to buy one for your wife, but you have an agenda. Every interaction we have with a human being, we do have an agenda. Uh, it doesn't have to be a particularly nefarious agenda, but I think the idea that that we expect anything other from our media that, that we would in any other phase of our life, I think, is a fool's errand. That was downright libertarian of you, Al. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm learning, bro. Like, I really, I'm really fascinated. And I mean, Christian and I have known each other for a while, so I'm, I'm, I didn't know this about you, and I'm really interested. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. But that's another thing. Is I'm learning a lot about about libertarianism. Yeah, because you, we we all have, and this is what I. This is what I love about what we're doing is I've heard the term libertarian so many times in my life. I've wondered, I, I don't, I don't even like to label myself. I think I'd probably fit in there somewhere, but I, I haven't researched enough to know, but that's, what's great about what we're doing is all three of us are learning from somebody who's something. And I bet you that's a lot of people listening to this. Hey, the, what's a libertarian? There's a guy that likes to read books, right? <laughs> but it's like it's <laughs> that's a nerd in Indianapolis. God dang it! I, I thought but, I knew what that was. <laughs> but there's that element of somebody has a, a connotation to who you are and what you you believe 100. percent I think a lot of things you're saying are fair, and and also the things that Al are, is bringing up are great points, and I, I, it's just such a great back and forth. Okay, so I'm sorry. I, I, think, but- I think anybody needs, anybody who's willing to take a stand and make a point or have, you know, I think we, we display little acts of courage every single day in our in our lives, and speaking up, I think, is something that a lot of people have kind of, we've atrophied those muscles of talking about religion and politics because of the phrase, they're not supposed to talk about religion mm-hmm. and politics, and I think that's done a disservice to society because I think we've lost the ability to have these kind of conversations where you start from a place of respect and uh, understanding that everyone in the conversation deserves dignity and that you're not going to call somebody stupid just because they disagree with you. Al has a completely different set of life experiences than I have, and it doesn't make me superior. It just makes us different, and you start to converse about those differences, and what you find is points of understanding and points of agreement, and that's where we have to start building society and building social norms, I think we have we have eroded the social norms of of the way that our grandparents and our parents grew up. And so now we have to rebuild some of those things again for the Internet age. I think Me Too is definitely a big part of that. Like Me Too, in, in my mind, is something where we're all trying to we're all going, OK, somebody like R. Kelly, we can't we can't prop this person up they may have gotten away with it in the old version of society but in the internet age you can't behave this way you have to you know and so how do you call that person out and check that behavior and check the behavior of other men while also respecting the fact that he may be innocent right so that's what i love about the internet and the internet age is that you can have these kind of conversations 
And we've all become publishers of information and we all have the ability to start discerning what is valuable information or not. And I think that is a big detriment to a lot of major media because we're all sitting here going, what you're saying doesn't necessarily match the experiences that I have when I talk with my friends online or in person or in group me messages. And uh, that that's why I find like the crackdown on political speech on these social networks to be troubling or the curtailing of comedians or any kind of speech. It, it, it shouldn't be curtailed because you should make better speech. You should hear that and then go, well, here's the counterpoint to that. Like, here's what Alex Jones says about lizard people. Here's why he's crazy. Right. Like you got to understand, you have to understand that the lizard people <laughs> are trying to turn things around. That's what's going to happen here, guys. And we are. <clears throat> I, uh, <clears throat> I swap. I've been attacked by a lizard human and the shadow people, the shadow people and the lizard people <laughs> are so mating. Weird. And this is a terrible situation where we have shadow lizard people who are uh, fundamentally trying to change us from the inside. Uh, because they sneak through uh, a a uh, a scab or something of that nature and bring it out, and you're not uh, angry enough. <laughs> yeah, there's a social norm. Yeah, yeah no, but here, I, one thing I'm you said, a... one thing you said too is differences. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. differences are what make everybody great, right? And in learning to live with everybody who is different, you learn from them as opposed to shutting down people because they are different. I right. think that's a, a great a, a great thing. But I'm sorry, I would just... say I would say to that, Frank. Though we are men of a certain age, and we've we've uh, been lucky enough. I can I think I can speak for all of us to have had very robust lives and very uh, very layered lives, where we've had a chance to meet people from different walks of life, mm -hmm. etc. Um, I would say, and I think one thing that uh, is a valid point when we when we talk about the internet and its impact on our society. It's what you have to remember is not the 35 year old Frank or the, the excuse me, the 65 year old Frank. I took 30 years off uh, or, you know, the 35 year old Chris Spangle. Brian, you look like you're 18. So I don't know how old you are. <laughs> 70. He's Black 73. Uh, 45, actually. That's so it. like I put it out there. You guys think about think about yourselves at your at your lowest, weakest point. Maybe when you were 14, 15 years old, you were kind of disenchanted. Uh, some people, you know, they just they, they get into a funk and different than I think when we grew up, which was in an analog world, kids growing up in a digital Internet age, you find a kid. Uh, and that's the way, you know, the the way that 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 skinheads recruit now is they find kids. Uh, they feel like they're loners. They feel like society doesn't want them. Uh, they then start to, uh, you know, start with low level misogyny. Like, hey, don't you know why, why you don't have a girlfriend? Because, you know, these chicks out here don't know a really good man. And you go, yeah, you know what? I do deserve a woman. And then after that, it goes, you know why you don't have one? Because these black guys are taking on you. And that's how it starts. And I wonder how many young kids will never get to where we are at 35, where we've led these these very interesting lives uh, and and met this tapestry of people because they will get sucked off and funneled into some part of the internet. And that part of the internet will, strangely enough, compartmentalize them where they will only be interacting with people that think and think alike like them. Al, you are, can I, do you mind if I chime in, Chris? No, please. Uh, yeah, you are, you are hitting on a, you are hitting a right on the nail for me because uh, I have a teenage daughter. Um, she's soon to be 14. And, for, for those of us who grew up in an analog age, it forced us to be social. 
when the sun came up in the summer, we were outside. We played yes. all day until dinner. We went in for dinner and then went back outside and we were social with all the kids in the neighborhood, all the other parents in the neighborhood who yelled at us and told us to get off their lawn, whatever. We were social. And then we didn't come back in until the street lamp came on. So now kids, I mean, pick whatever issue you want, be it that it's not as safe in our environment for kids to play outside, be it that we uh, live in an age where uh, analog is no longer because the analog is no longer or very rare to find. Kids have accessibility to things from the outside on their tablet, on their cell phone, on their computer, on their gaming system, on their portable gaming system. If they wanted to, they would they didn't have they wouldn't have to interact with a live kid their age once. They wouldn't have to. And so for you, like you talking about um the accessibility from these factions, whatever the faction may be, um that's so interesting to me because I have to fight against that all the time. I have to actually teach my daughter to research something without looking at Google. I have right. to teach her how to, she, she asks me questions about different things that go on. I go, I don't know. Why don't you look it up? And she, it drives her crazy when I say that because it forces her to engage socially. Um, and I, I just, I find that that point, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how we uh, fix that. You know, well, to, to as, your as point. a parent, I'm completely, I'm the same way. And, and Frank, I don't know what you're dealing with, but like my son, when his friends come over, they go, go to different rooms in the house and play on their, t- it's wait, wait a second. You, you have, there's kids that come over to your house. My, yeah, exactly. son, my son will exactly. say stuff like, I'll be like, what'd you do today? <laughs> I hung out with Evan. Oh, did he come Give over? A quick sec. No, 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 no. He didn't. He didn't come over. Well, how, did you go over there? No. What do you mean you hung out with Evan? Oh, we played Fortnite. Like there was a, there was a point where for when Fortnite was really getting big. And I talk about this in my act, there was a, a month where I didn't see him. I didn't know where, you know, I was like, <laughs> and at, at a certain point, you know, you want to kind of let them grow and do their own thing. But I was letting him do that. I'm like you gotta, you've got to interact some. You have to be part of this. I, I talk about this in my act too. It's like I said. Uh, he goes, "Hey, Dad, you want to watch me play some basketball?" I'm like, "Absolutely." I went to the driveway. He went to his room. I'm like, what are you doing? It's like I'm playing Xbox. I'm like, I don't want to watch you play Xbox. That's not that. Like it's combined. And this is a smart kid. And it's like it's combining in his mind that that's playing basketball. I'm like, no, that's. That's somebody who wrote code and you're pressing buttons. That mm. doesn't interest me. I want to be out there, rebound. I want to miss some shots. I want to uh, take some jabs at you and make fun of you a little bit. You make fun of me. We go back and forth. This is a kid, and I, again, this is stuff I talk about in my acts. So I, I want you to know why it's so incredibly polished. Uh, <laughs> but it's it, he, he was playing. Uh, he goes in to play Fortnite. I didn't know what it was. And I go and I, I go and I just he can't talk to another human being or he can now he's getting better at it because we've started talking about this, but he couldn't talk to another human being. If he would try to talk to somebody, it was like he would look away like the person had a bad toupee and then look back at it kind of thing. But you yeah. put that Xbox headset on him, put him in his room and it's like he, we are if we will form in a two by two formation. This is a code red. This is a code. Like, who are you? The army general from Toy Story? <laughs> I've <Right>. never heard <laughs> you talk to another human being, direct them, do anything. And it, if you're not, if these kids aren't looking at somebody directly 
they can talk forever. But as soon as you look eye to eye, it gets weird. And that's the opposite of what it's supposed to be, right? Yeah. And so let me pick up and let me kind of answer Al's question from way back about the media and profit and all, and all that stuff in that tent. Please. Um, you know, I just uh, to, to that point, I was terrified the other day when I met with a group of students who were in high school and I asked them, I asked them, like, what do you do for fun on the weekends? And they said, oh, we stay at home and play on our phones. And yeah. it's not like us sounding like old guys. It's literally like this is what Gen Z is doing. Like, they're, yes, they're eroding those social skills. And I think there's some very beneficial conversations happening about the role of technology and personal devices in society right now. But I don't think that those are happening on major media news necessarily. I think those are happening on places like the Joe Rogan podcast or this podcast or, mm -hmm. you know, I think they're happening in places where you can have longer form conversations, more independent media outlets where people are talking about what interests them or what trends they're noticing in, in society, but not necessarily what trends they're trying to to push. And so when when i look at the major media i go the argument on a cnn or in a newspaper is built to get clicks it's built to get and it comes from the shift to digital for tv news stations for newspapers there's been a fundamental shift in those business models it went from we're going to put this piece on the air or we're going to put this in print and we're going to fund our business model by selling advertising advertisements for you young kids they put craigslist on the paper and then that's how you'd find your <laughs> yeah uh, and so the the reality is that the newspapers the major media outlets they have seen the they have now have had to start competing for attention and competing for ad revenue and there is a resentment from the tops of these companies that they have to do that and now, so are you we, assuming that I got? I just I, because I, I am. I am making us. I'm making educated guesses. Okay. So, okay. It, uh, and uh, I won't tell you where I get my education. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. They keeping your sources. Uh, yes, but secret. having yeah. having talked to a lot of local news people, a lot of local print people working in the radio industry, there's a lot of resentment from major media that 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 their business model took such a big hit. You know, radio, ironically, is the one that's actually uh, still thriving and has kind of stabled off because you're kind of a captive audience in your car. But if you're a TV news station, you're almost a digital station at this point. And you've got the massive overhead of having all the towers and, and all this equipment and the broadcast fees. Uh, if you're a newspaper, the tremendous amount of uh, you have to you have to run the newspaper, print the newspaper, deliver the newspaper. It's a lot of competition. And you're in competition with the Daily Beast, with the Drudge Report, with the Daily Caller, with, uh, you know, Raw Story, the Huffington Post, who can turn things out much quicker. And they're getting just as much digital ad revenue. So there was actually a great conversation on Smirconish that I heard from the, the Philadelphia Inquirer head who said, we just we missed digital. We just didn't get there fast enough because... Mm. The digital companies came in and they completely eradicated our ability to compete with them because Facebook built better targeting. And we couldn't do that. We could broadcast right. to the city of Philadelphia, not to a zip code. And so now that we look at the um, the conversation around Trump and Russia and Alex Jones and all these other people, I think they see a, a, an opportunity to 
let's not have to compete with as many voices. Let's get some regulation on this. Let's not have as many voices. You know, you see hit pieces on somebody like Jordan Peterson. I think the the uh, if you read only the New York Times and the Washington Post, you would think Jordan Peterson was a Nazi. And they, it, it, he, he is to, if you're a young male listener, you understand the impact in the lives of young men that that guy's had because he's coming along saying, here's the social norms you're supposed to have if you're a healthy man, emotionally, mentally, physically, you know? And so then they look at the hit pieces and they resent that. And it creates, it creates a lot of problems. I've seen, I've actually seen that quite a bit. Hey, Chris, yeah. we actually, we're going to lose Al here in a second. Oh. So I think what we're going to do is. I think even though we're in the middle of everything and I could see Brian going, oh, man, I had some. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Um, we need to do a part two really quick. Really yeah. Soon. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm going to uh... be out of town for a little bit, but I think we can do this as a cliffhanger and a tremendous, Chris, because I think this is the, this is the most we've learned on. We've only done two shows, but we've learned a lot. And Dave House had wanted to be on the show badly because he he loves certain things about libertarians and. He has questions, and I think it'll be perfect because he's going to listen to this and have some questions for you uh, as well. I, I thought this was in incredibly – this was definitely a more serious episode than our first one, but I think that's great. I think uh, because I learned a lot, I'm gathering and forming some questions. Give your um, We Are Libertarians um, website again and information. Yes, uh, you're, and I'll, I'll give you the punchline. you got to listen next time. It's a, it is a cliffhanger. So let's, Al, make sure you ask me that again because I want to answer that fully. Will do. Please follow me on any platform. You can go to literally any platform. Type in We Are Libertarians. You'll find us. You can follow me on social media. Follow uh, the podcast, wearelibertarians.com. Uh, I'm, I have us on literally everything. So please listen at your convenience. Great. And all information, we'll put that all on alanfrank.com as well and get it all the, all the information out there. Can I add to the cliffhanger? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, you you as we were speaking earlier, you referenced our president, President Trump, and you said, "Make America great again." It's tremendous. <laughs> Trivia question: Where did he get that phrase from? Ronald I made Reagan. it up. I made it. Everything I do, I make <laughs> up myself. <laughs> cliffhanger. Cliff Clavenhanger. Right, this is a Cliff Clavenhanger. I'm going to come back and have all the information from. for it was you. Reinforced by one. But it was originally said by another. Chris kind of snuck it out there, but I don't know the other. Yeah, yeah. All right, there's, have there's people one look it up. after. after have Ronald people look Reagan. it up. We'll put it out there. Al, we'll see All it. Right, we're, we're wrapping up. Thanks everybody. Perfect. And uh, I wish I did. I wish I'd have realized this earlier. My fault. Um, Chris can't wait for more. Brian, uh, this is great. I'm gonna. I'm actually. I'm actually going to listen back to a lot of this because I had little bits of questions, but I didn't want to stop you, Chris. So, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. You told I, me I should, and I realize now that you're the Bill Walton of political. Like, how great <laughs> is this? We'll go I, on for, but it's great because we were learning so much. It's exactly what I want from the show. So, feel, uh, free, feel free to stop me, yeah, because what I do on my show is just like take current events and apply libertarian principles and explain the story, and like I get going, and then I'm like, oh, I have co-hosts here. I need to talk to. <laughs> right. Great. Uh, I just, if you guys see the feed, uh, I don't know if you can see it. I just canceled Al out cause he left. Um, we, we're not going to go. I don't want to go any further without him though. So, uh, we are libertarians.com has all the information. We're getting back to you. We'll probably hopefully get, if I wasn't on the road so much this week, I would do a lot more. Um, uh, we would, uh, we would get into this immediately. I'm actually going to try and see if I can figure out a way on the road to maybe chime in and figure out, uh, how to get in with you again. Cause I'm, 
interested to hear more as well. So uh, great job. Thanks, guys. AlanFrank.com for all the information. And we're going to put stuff up on the uh, on the um, on the screen as well for everybody. Uh, that's it. Anything anything uh, to say in uh, conclusion, uh, Brian? Great stuff. I can't wait till the next one. Yeah. Awesome.